I should have expected it, but for some reason I didn't. Like it never crossed my mind that people would pull out for that reason, um, especially because, you know, the, it is recommended for ages 13 up. The kids were going to be 13. Um, yeah, I probably should have anticipated that. So I, I didn't expect a school visit to be canceled because the organizer hadn't realized there was drug use in the book. What Were You Thinking, the podcast that goes beyond the pages of the books we love. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein, and I invite you to join me as we ask authors to share the story behind their stories. Welcome everyone to season two, episode number one of What Were You Thinking? I honestly never thought I would get to a season two because putting a podcast together is a whole lot of work. And just like most things that I get involved in, I just say yes and figure it out later. I'm very grateful to all the authors who joined me in season one, and I'm looking forward to bringing you more interesting interviews over the course of the next year. It's been really interesting and engaging to talk to authors about their process and how they come up with their stories and any challenges that they have overcome and any obstacles they didn't see coming. It's really fascinating to me as a writer to be able to get inside their head and that's kind of why I started this podcast. Now enough for me. This episode, we are talking with Bev Katz-Rosenbaum, who wrote a book that was published last year, 2021, called I'm Good and Other Lies. And it's a book set during a pandemic, not the pandemic, but it might as well be the pandemic because the parallels are inarguable. It's a fantastic young adult novel about a young girl named Kelsey who is stuck in quarantine and not a great family situation and how she gets through it and rises above it and finds the happy ending. Hope I didn't spoil that for you. Anyways, without further ado, let's get right into it. Congratulations on I'm Good and Other Lies. Thank you so much. <laughs> I have so many things I want to talk about. <laughs> There's so many things I want to talk about. I don't know where to go first. Okay. You wrote a pandemic book during I the pandemic. I did not start out writing a pandemic book. I know. And I want to talk about that. But when everybody was saying, don't write pandemic yeah. books, yeah. you were like, yeah. screw you, I'm doing it. <laughs> True. What is the evolution of this book? I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had a draft of this book, which was uh, basically... Uh, the story of Kelsey, my main character, and her family. And it's a dysfunctional family. And when the pandemic started, I, I had already shown it to some people in publishing. And I was getting amazing writing without the voice, um, not enough plot. This is kind of my my weak spot as a writer, as an editor. I can I help everybody else with their plots. I'm amazing at plot doctoring. I'm very much stronger on characterization and voice 
as a writer. So the, I knew the story needed something to hang on. It didn't have enough in the way of structure and plot. When the pandemic came along, um, I thought two things. Oh, this could be something I could hang this story on. And also my heart just went out to all those people and, and who were stuck in these lockdown situations 24 seven with you know, possibly dysfunctional families. And it wasn't soon after the lockdown started, we started getting all these statistics about how rates of domestic abuse were, were rising, uh, substance use, all of that. All of that came together very quickly for me. But like you said, I was already hearing publishers were saying no pandemic books. So I, I did think, screw you, because I, it just didn't make any sense to me. I thought, that's like, I saw someone on Twitter say, that's like saying we don't want any World War II books after World War II. Like, what are you going to do? Just ignore this like enormous thing, that, this global thing that is affecting like absolutely everyone in the world. So I did, to a certain extent, say, screw you, but I didn't write about this pandemic. There will have been a different, like I made up a pandemic because I was also aware of the two-year timeline between the time a book is sold and the time a book comes out in traditional publishing. It's usually two years. And who knows if people would still be interested in this pandemic in two years. None of us knew anything. And when my agent and I started shopping around the book. And one of the first publishers we heard from was um, Barry Jowett at DCB, which is an imprint of Cormorant Books. And he said, I love it, um, but I want you to write about this pandemic. And he had said, he said to me, I wasn't even, I didn't even think I wanted a pandemic book. But when I started reading this, I knew like this was the book I wanted to read, which was amazing. And um, he also said he would fast track it to come out in one year instead of two years. So that sealed the deal. So that's basically the evolution of how it all came about. And because I had had this draft already written at the beginning, I felt like I was faster than a lot of other writers. So I was in that first wave of pandemic books. And now I hear publishers are really getting inundated. How challenging was it to weave in the pandemic into an existing manuscript? It wasn't really hard at all. I started out, the, the real trouble came because at the beginning of the pandemic, like a lot of other people, you know, we were all so scared and so stressed out. Everything was changing so quickly. And this was all unfamiliar, scary territory. And it takes a certain level of concentration to actually create something from nothing, a kind of concentration of focus that's different from the kind of concentration of focus you require for other work. For Like I found editing, I, I'm a freelance editor, I found my editing work much easier. It's hard work, but it's a different kind of work. So I, I just found it easier to focus on that kind of work. But because I had this manuscript, what I told myself was I'm going to revise the scenes that are there to fit what I have in mind. I'll slot in like little points where I think, you know, new scenes need to go. Um, and in the end, it did require writing a lot of new scenes. But by the time I did the revising, I was excited about the new story. And that got me into the headspace of writing the new scenes. As a freelance editor, 
do you edit as you write or are you able to separate the, the two different parts of the brain? Oh, it's so hard. I'm one of these people that I do try and fast draft, but it's really, really hard for me <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I know like that sentence, that paragraph, that scene isn't exactly how I want it. But I do in that first draft, just make notes about what I think it needs. And I, I just move on. I force myself to move on because otherwise I'd never move on. <laughs> Why do you write young adult? All the ideas I have come to me in young adult form. And I don't know if it's because I don't know, maybe like that was a really shitty time in my own life. So maybe it has something to do with that. I don't know. I've tried writing some adult stuff since, but I've like, I've aborted those books very quickly. They just weren't working. But the YA, I seem to be able, it seems to be the thing that's really working for me, especially now. I think everything in my writing has finally come together after a number of books. Um, and I've discovered, you know, this is what comes most easily to me. It's what I'm most interested in. And I do like the idea of, I suppose, I, I wanna let kids know that are going through stuff now that it gets better, hang on. It's gonna, you know, it might be shitty for a while longer, but it will get better and you can make your life different. What do you hope readers will get out of I'm good and other lies? I, I just want them to know, first, I want them to feel seen and heard. Um, I think it's always great to see your own experiences reflected in a book, and especially kids who are going through these hard times, be it with a dysfunctional family, if they've struggled through the pandemic with all these losses of touch friends, school, part-time jobs, and I want them to feel just, just knowing that you're not alone in these struggles, I think can help kids that alone. Like I don't like preachy, super messagey books. So to me, the big thing was just representation, just to show kids they're not alone if they've struggled, had these hard times but also to give them a little hope for the future that um, I didn't tie up everything perfectly at the end, but there was hope and, and to give the kids the message that you have the power to make your life better once you get to a certain stage in your life and, and it will get better. The book isn't about a pandemic. We need to be clear about that. It's not about the pandemic or a pandemic. It's about uh, Kelsey being in a very difficult situation in her home life that's exacerbated yes. by the pandemic right yes and I think that's it's important to say that and let readers know that because it takes us inside a world that most of us are fortunate to know nothing about or to not have experience firsthand yeah right? you're absolutely right I'm glad you pointed that out because part of that was a writerly choice on my part too I felt like if the whole book took place during the lockdown with Kelsey at home with her parents, it would be kind of claustrophobic, scenes would be redundant. So yeah, the first lockdown doesn't happen until I, about halfway through the book, actually. It is more about this girl's uh, travails with this difficult family. And Now, there's very 
sensitive subject matter. Um, There's drug use, which you got kickback, not kickbacks, that's the wrong word, but there's drug use in this book that was not well accepted by and resulted in a cancellation by somebody who had booked you for an event. Yes, yes. Which to me, I'm just going to say it is ludicrous because if you think that 13 year olds don't know about this stuff and that there aren't any 13 year olds who are living in that horror show take your head out of the sand if you know what I I know (laughs) I know exactly and I didn't even have a great response because I should have expected it but for some reason I didn't like it never crossed my mind that people would pull out for that reason um, especially because, you know, the, it is recommended for ages 13 up, the kids were going to be 13. Um, yeah, I probably should have anticipated that, but I didn't for some reason. Most of the books that are challenged now are books by Black, Indigenous, people of color, LGBTQ books. So I, I didn't expect a school visit to be canceled because the organizer hadn't realized there was drug use in the book. Yeah, I just was not expecting it at all. And I didn't have a good response for her, but now I I have a response prepared um, if that happens again. Um, I think it's it's those kids especially that need representation in books, the kids going through really difficult things at home and who are kind of desperate themselves to numb their pain. Um, and also when we tell kids that, you know, what they're experiencing is kind of shameful, you know, what they hear is, is they are shameful you know, and it just adds an extra layer of, um, of distress. So yeah, I think that was completely mishandled. Where do your ideas come from? Lately, um, well, I'll go back and talk a little bit. Uh, when I first started writing young people's literature, it was in the midst of the Harry Potter frenzy. So we were all trying to think of like the next, what's the next big kind of gimmicky high concept thing. So I thought of, oh, a girl who's cryonically preserved for 10 years and then she's thawed into this new world. And that became, I was a teenage popsicle. Okay, Bev has three novels available on her website for download, free to anyone who wants to read them, and I will post a link in the show notes. She does say that these are free reads of old stuff that probably never should have been published. That just seals the deal for never writing to what is popular at the time you start, because by the time you finish and get published, We've moved on to the next hot topic. So just a warning about that. I was given a word count for that book. Um, I was told I had to hit, I think it was 60,000 words on that book. Um, and I write very sparely. So I I always feel like, oh, if I had to write that book again, I would. there's so much I would take out. I feel like about a quarter of it is padding. So uh, don't hold that against me. Also, it was my first way novel. I wrote another book uh, a little soon after that about a teen girl genie. So still was thinking about, you know, Harry Potter type gimmicks. Um, that one didn't sell in North America. It only sold in Germany, believe it or not. 
Um, and then I decided to take a long break from writing and just figure out what it was I really wanted to write and felt really pulled to write as opposed to just kind of writing to get published. And um, I didn't really write anything until the 2016 US election. <laughs> And I had all this rage and I needed somewhere to put my rage. <laughs> and um, I decided I wanted to write about a school election that had parallels to that election. The book Bev is making reference to is called Who is Tanksy? And it's a really adorable tongue-in-cheek look at politics from the viewpoint of a 13-year-old middle grader who voices her political opinions by secretly painting controversial images on the walls of her school. So now I only write about the things that really pull at me. And I've always known I wanted to write about a girl in Kelsey's situation. So I wrote that draft and the rest you heard when the pandemic started. I thought, oh, like I'd like to weave in that, that story too about this girl who would be stuck in that situation. Yeah, so now I only write the things that really pull at me. And um, I'm currently working, I'm doing revisions with my agent on a book that's about a historical figure, Amelia Bassano, who I read an article about a few years ago and, and was so taken by this character and wondered why I had never heard of this person or yep. read anything about her. Amelia Bassano was an English poet born in 1569. Now, it has been speculated that she is the dark lady that Shakespeare refers to in his sonnets, and that investigation is still ongoing. But in any event, this woman was the first woman to call herself a professional poet. She published a book of poetry titled Salve Deus Rex Jude Judeorium. Sorry, that's a mouthful. I'll post a link to the work in the show notes. But let me just say this. Her feminism is clear. Once you get past the old style English, her feminism is clear. And I particularly love in the middle of the title poem where she essentially asserts that Eve should not have taken the fall for the original sin, that Adam is partially if not fully to blame because according to the bible he was stronger and should have been able to resist the temptation and also he came first so he had knowledge about things that eve did not yet have dude it's your fault we went down okay i have to write a ya imagining how the young Amelia might have made her deal with the young Will Shakespeare. And it's a bit of a departure for you because it's it a, it's it still is. YA, but it's historical. Yeah, it's taking me way out of my comfort zone. And there are, yes. <laughs> what, what was the most challenging piece about getting into a, a YA historical fiction? A, doing all the research. And also, I mean, once you get into all this Shakespeare stuff, authorship stuff there are a million different opinions and a million people saying why this could be the case and why this couldn't be the case and I decided okay I'm just gonna have to shut a lot of this out and just 
make it more fun and conjecture. And this is just an imagining. I'm messing with timelines and merging events and characters and ages, changing ages. And <laughs> so I just decided I had to give myself permission to, to take all these liberties. Otherwise, you'd be going down these research rabbit holes forever. Oh, also the language. So I'm not really staying entirely true to the diction of the times. And I thought it would be fun to do a little bit of a night's tale thing and bring in some, sneak in some modern expressions too. And, but that's tricky. I, someone read a draft and said, oh, that's taking me out of the story. Other people said, oh, I love it. I love it. And you don't know kind of who to listen to all the time. So that was challenging as well. What do you do when the writing stalls? How do you get past that? Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question. And I'm kind of feeling I'm going to be going into that stage because after Amelia, you asked about ideas before. And, and like I said, now I'm only writing the things that really pull at me. And I really have nothing else in mind to write after the Amelia book. And as a writer, you kind of dread that like that's an awful stage to be in and so far it's just I mean I've had taken really really long breaks so I'm just prepared to do my editing until until I'm really pulled by another idea by something that happens in real life like and I know a lot of authors don't do that there is some authors are like you plant yourself in that seat every day and you write I'm I've never been able to do that I something has to really really pull at me for me to sit and write who or what pushes you to be better at your craft oh that's a great question so i am lucky enough to have an amazing critique partner who is danielle young ullman danielle young ullman is a canadian author who has written a number of books, including He Must Like You, published in 2020, and Everything Beautiful Is Not Ruined, for which she was shortlisted for the Governor General's Literary Award. When you are lucky enough to have a critique partner like Danielle, you just are constantly challenged and pushed to do better. And the people in Canadian YA lit who have inspired me so many so many people many of them women who write about serious issues with also with a little bit of humor like I do yeah and getting to know these people in real life too and um, it's an inspiring community and um, being around people who are better than you <laughs> is uh, pushes you to to do better. I really appreciate that you put uh, that you write with humor because teenage life is just so full of drama and angst and it doesn't need any yeah. more. You write about a heavy topic, but you infuse humor. Is that something that just came naturally to you? Yeah, I think so. It does come naturally. I find myself doing it in my personal life too. <laughs> like in therapy sessions, I'll try and make my therapist laugh, even if it's, I'm talking about something super painful. So yeah, I think that's been always been kind of a defense mechanism for me as, as human. Um, when I talk about painful things, I always try and make something into a funny anecdote, even if it's super painful. But also, um, I think it works well in books. Those are my favorite kind of books to read. So I think just by osmosis, I sort of absorbed that. Those are the writers I, I guess, try and emulate. And I think it works because 
you know, you don't want, as you said, total melodrama all the time. You need some light moments to leaven all that super heavy stuff. It just makes it go down easier, I think. Um, and I like that in the books that I like to read too, always have a little bit of humor in them, be they young other young adult books or, or adult novels. You wrote for television. You were a writer for Stoked, which was a YA yeah. Yeah. Uh, comedy show. Mm-hmm. How is that different? How much different is writing for television versus writing literary fiction? I'm amazed you found out that I wrote for Stoked. I wrote for Stoked for literally one season. <laughs> TV writing was not for me. I'm but... a former I'm a former journalist, so oh even though I don't write for newspapers, some skills never leave you. It's like riding a bike, <laughs> always a researcher, always digging, digging. <laughs> I have the, that one lonely IMDb credit, <laughs> but it was a great experience. I learned a lot from those writers I mean so how it works is you're in a writer's room with writers first uh, with the whole staff the whole writing staff for a certain period of time be it a week or two weeks or three weeks and in that time you come up with plots and subplots for each episode over a whole season and then people are assigned episodes and then they're um, sent off to their uh, to write their episodes. And the reason I didn't last in it is, I think I told you, I, I'm a bit of an introvert. And, and as a novelist, we're not used to kind of brainstorming out loud and thinking up things on the fly, like you're used to mulling things over for a long time. So these people were like stand-up comics in the writer's room, and they were like, you know, snap, 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 riffing on each other. And I was like, I know I'll come up with something great if I can just go home and sleep on that. <laughs> So that part of it didn't work for me. Um, as for this writing the script itself, I did learn a lot from the comedy writers and they are constantly polishing, polishing, polishing. And especially in the final, in their final drafts, it's a draft called The Punch Up and it's devoted solely to making sure there are at least two or three laughs on every page and with I'm good in other lies. It's not like a ha-ha funny book. It's a different kind of humor, but I try to put a couple really clever or witty things on, on every page. Um, and that's mostly what I learned from, from those comedy writers. Well, that's all I have for you today, Bev. Thank you so much yes. for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And I had a great time chatting with you. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of What Were You Thinking? You can check out all of Bev's books and her services by visiting bevcatsrosenbaum.com. I will post the link in the show notes. You can also follow her on Twitter at Bev Rosenbaum. I'm your host, Dana Goldstein. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to check out my own books, head over to my website, danagoldstein.ca, or you can follow me on Twitter at Dana G. Writes. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, thanks for sticking around for the extra three seconds, because now I have some bonus content for you. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you already know the question that I ask every author. So here we go. Tell me something not a lot of people know about you. Oh my gosh. When I do these things, people are always surprised to learn that I'm really an introvert.
but really like most of the time I just want to sit home alone and, and read. You earlier made reference to your teenage years being shitty. Can I ask you to elaborate on that? Because if I'm wondering, <laughs> listeners are wondering. <laughs> of course. Um, I think I was probably going through some kind of depression at the time. I mean, I'm old enough that like at that time we didn't have the kind of supports for that kind of thing we have now. Even now it's hard for kids to get the right kind of help. But um, back then people just didn't do that. Didn't know where, wouldn't even have known where to go or how to find any kind of help. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm still in contact with some people I knew at that time, but like, yeah, I didn't have any friends. I was, I was kind of down and felt on my own very much. So I think that's why I write these kinds of books now. And I think a lot of us that write why that probably um, remember those times. And there, it's supposed to be the time in your life that, you know, people say, oh, this is the best time of your life. Well, no, like for a lot of people, it's, really really not but it is the time of first so and for a lot of people all those firsts are kind of bad firsts <laughs> you know what I mean yeah I had someone send me a message a couple of days ago and just an adult who read the book and she said I didn't even realize how much my adult child still needed something like this she said I grew up in a home like Kelsey's and I would have loved to have a book like this at that age just to know that someone else was going through it you don't need me to say I'm sorry. It's done. It's over with. I'm fine. Oh, well, if that's true, then I'm glad. It's not true. It doesn't matter, does it? You told me you couldn't believe in somebody who didn't believe in you. I believed in you. Always believed in you. You just didn't believe in me. I love you.